Hey guys, welcome back to Teen Muscle Radio and episode number 45. So today we are joined by Mark Claxton and Mark is a DFAC pro um, and that's the essentially that's the pro federation that comes out of essentially doing the hardest thing that you can potentially do in my opinion in British natural bodybuilding which is winning the the overall title at the BNBF British finals which is not by any means a cookie cutter or plastic pro card it's a pro card that you have to work your ass off for and uh, for, for me Mark has been someone that I've looked up to for a long period of time um, like ever since I got into the sport I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm just thinking about this in the in the car on the way back from cardio this morning I was like when did I when did I see when I first see Mark's physique and I think it was potentially at either the 2014 or 2015 um, British Pro Grand Prix. It was one of the two, and I'm sure Mark can clear up which one it potentially was. That's probably the 14. Probably yeah. the 14. So yeah, yeah. That, 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 was, that was the one that I thought it was. And the reason why I thought it was that is because when I was uh, in 2014, that was my first year in natural bodybuilding. And before then, I'd only had an experience of of watching the non-tested shows um, and luckily I got guidance enough to, to come into a natural federation and, and, and do my first show with the BNBF and I remember going to the, to the finals because I was lucky enough to be invited as a teen and seeing the the, the, the line up there was just just blew me away at, at what you could potentially achieve and I think what I'm going to try and do is is either in the background of this podcast or in the thumbnail at least I'll, I'll put uh, or a picture that I found yesterday of Mark competing as a junior versus what he competes at now. And, and it, if you're a young guy and looking at those sort of pictures, like you'd have to be blind not to be, not to be motivated by that. So, yeah, like I said, to not blab on too much, Mark has been uh, someone that I've definitely looked up to in the sport for a long period of time. And I'm, I'm very much uh, honoured to, to be joined by him for this episode. So, Mark, for, for, for the listeners that, that, that don't know you, that don't know Mark Claxton, um, who are you and uh, uh, how, how did you get into the sport and what do you, what do, you do for, for a living on a day-to-day basis? Just give us a bit of a background on, on yourself. Okay, uh, first of all, thanks for the compliments. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm a natural bodybuilder, um, just recreationally, I suppose. Um, it's never going to be a profession that you're going to earn any, any money out of. Sure. Um, I've never been involved in the fitness industry for a living. Um, obviously, I've helped people here and there over the years to varying degrees of success and catastrophic failure, <laughs> which is <laughs> which is what it's all about when you you know when you're learning when you first start and you do a show or two and then you start helping friends and you think oh I'll help them get in a shape and then things go south for them and you're like shit what did I do wrong there and then you just keep learning from there but. Yeah. Um, Originally, I was um, I had a factory job. I used to uh, make UPVC windows and stuff when I first left school because I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left school. Okay. Um, then I did an electrical uh, engineering apprenticeship. I became an electrical um, installation uh, engineer, if you like. Okay. Um, so I worked on building sites, um, industrial, commercial, domestic, all sorts of different stuff. Um, but never really, you know, my heart was never in it or anything like that. I still didn't really know what to do, but it was a trade and something I could always fall back on should yeah. I need to. So um, that was what I did. Um, I got into bodybuilding during that time. I, I started training when I was 15 years old. Wow. Um, 
I don't do electrical engineering anymore. I just sort of, I, I, uh, the recession hit and I was having to work away and stuff like that. And mm. being away from home and, uh, you know, for bodybuilding lifestyle at the time, I, I didn't really see it as conducive to living my life the way I wanted to live it. So sure. uh, I didn't want to work away anymore. There was no work locally. Um, and then even the work that you were getting, um, you were working for friends and stuff. And if anyone was having cash flow problems, um, then them paying you it's a difficult situation to be in because people who you're friends with are your employers and they owe you money. And to me, that's as good as stealing. If you, if a, if a friend stole from you, you're not going to yeah. feel great about that. So it was time to, time to move on out of that. I had yeah. some friends who worked in the prison service and that sounded like something I could do. So that's oh, what I've been yeah. doing ever since. So, yeah. Oh, amazing. Well, I, I can imagine that the, that the potentially before the, the prison service, the, the job that you were doing was quite, sort of manually intensive like you were you on your feet a lot and, and did you find that 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 sort of hindered your training a little bit at all um yeah it was it was very manual like it was up and down some days it was more manual than others yeah but um yeah on on on, on occasion i think it did really hinder my training but one thing i noticed now looking back is because i was that much smaller i had that much less muscle mass the tax on my nervous system was less and of course i was used to that level of physical output yeah um, so training wasn't as much of a problem whereas now if i was to try and do a day's work and then train to the level that i train now i don't think my nervous system would be able to cope with it no but at, at the time the taxation on my body wasn't anywhere near as much so yeah at the time, sure. i don't think it was that pro- that much of a problem um but yeah it, it hindered either my training or my work so you couldn't bust your ass all day at work and then go to, go to the gym and then expect to perform optimally there's there's just no way but yeah yeah for sure i mean we're this is the thing you know in in this day and age we and especially in like the natural bodybuilding scene you you're not you're going to find very few people that can just purely live live eat and breathe the sport and do nothing else yeah um like you'll see videos of jay cutler who literally all he'd do would be eat, go back to bed, eat, go back to bed, train, go back to bed, etc. And, you know, I think I, I was listening to a podcast the other day about why some of these higher level bodybuilders make really good progress when they go out to Kuwait. And essentially the, the idea is that in Kuwait, everything is done for them. Like they just get everything, all their meals made for them. They get literally, apparently they get told to go to bed. Like you have to sleep now, you have to sleep now. And they, they take all the pressures off, all their lifestyle, external pressures. So when you see like a, a really good high level natural bodybuilder, it's, I think that's sometimes even more impressive because you know that their lifestyle sometimes doesn't just totally coincide with the goal of, maximum muscle mass and and extremely yeah. low body fat levels um so awesome so you you got into training at a very similar age as me at 15 years old and i'm interested to know what what that sort of looked like like what was your initial weight training experiences how did you get into the gym environment and and would you say that you you started off on a good foot or would you say that you could have done a lot a lot of things differently when you were 15 Oh, I could definitely do a lot of things differently. I think I would have, would have done it given the given the opportunity and the chance. But um, what got me into the gym was uh, it's just something I always wanted to do. Like before before I was old enough to even join a gym, uh, before I was born, my father was into the gym. 
and he used to train. He used to be. Um, he wasn't. He wasn't a bodybuilder. He never competed or anything like that. But he just used to like going to the gym three to four times a week, training really, really heavy on big basic movements, and then he used to go on and live his life and eat shitloads of food and even drink and stuff like that and live his life. And that that was, you know, he used to tell me the stories from in the gym and um, his uncle um, and a few other people of his age that I know um, used to go to the gym and they, you know, they used to bounce stories off each other and hearing that, like when you're young, it, it has a has a effect on you because you, you think, oh, that sounds brilliant and they're all having a laugh and I want that when I'm old enough to go to the gym. And uh, my dad first took me to the gym when I was a baby. He like, took me through the – there was a hole in the wall to get in the gym apparently. You know? hmm. I, I can't remember it, but yeah, he took me in the gym, so I would have been probably two, something like that. Um, but he took me in the gym to train when I was about 12 or 13. Um, that was probably like a one-off session. He never really – ever since I was born, he never trained. So um, he'd, he'd since given up when I was born um, to pursue his family life and just concentrate on working and building a home for his family. So, But, um, yeah, I always wanted to do it. I joined a gym when I was 15 years old before I should have done. Mm. <laughs> uh, legally, like, I don't think I should have been in there, but I was in there training. And um, were, you, were you playing any sports at that point at all as well? Were you, like, were you sporty at school? No, no, no. Um, at school, I wasn't... Yeah, I was, I was sporty, but... I wasn't sporty when I left school. Um, when, I, when I was growing up, um, I was very into football. Um, I was quite good at football. I played for Norwich City um, schoolboys for a short period. Um, and then once I got to uh, sort of maybe 11 or 12, I discovered girls. And I was, all, I was, all I was interested in was socialising with my friends and chasing after particular girls or whatever with <laughs> not great success. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, that was that was where my interest lie, and then um, I sort of fell in as I was growing up as a teenager. I, I fell in with the wrong crowd and getting into the wrong things, and sure. um, just being an idiot, really. But um, obviously, you know, once I got to the age of fifteen, um, there was a point where I got sat down with um, some police big rig said, "Boy, any more trouble, and you're not going to be going in the right direction in life." And obviously, I had aspirations. I wanted to get into um, motor engineering I wanted to do an engineering apprenticeship at Lotus Cars um, that never happened but um, I knew that if I had a criminal record there was no way I was going to get that so um, and I, had a, I came from a good family there was no reason for me to be acting the way I was I was just an idiot and had my own issues that I dealt with and um, while it's embarrassing to look back on and talk about I'm actually proud of the fact that I moved on from that and training being in the gym and bodybuilding um, definitely took me away from all that and gave me something new to put my energy into, something positive to, to work towards. And that's why I'm so passionate about it now, especially when I see youngsters and stuff getting into it. I, th I just think it's a brilliant thing to do. Yeah, agreed. I think, you know, I, I, I was very much in the same situation where I, I sort of got involved with potentially the wrong crowd and led down the wrong route. And I think weight training just gave me a focus where, I, I could just spend my time there and, and, and enjoy myself. And that was the main thing that I got into training for was the enjoyment factor. And I think, you know, nowadays, and I'm sure that we'll move on to sort of how you got into competing, etc. But I think nowadays people are sort of skipping the gun a little bit with regards to how they get into the training element of, of the gym. And they sort of see a competitor first online and then they're like, I want to be a competitor, so I've got to start training, as opposed to 
oh like i really like the idea of training with weights let's go and train with weights because i think that you know the the most passionate people that i've seen are the people that have that have built that weight training passion either from being just a sporty competitive person or just like you just really liking the idea of lifting heavy stuff and being motivated by obviously your father and like i think a lot of people like should spend more time just gaining that passion that naturally as opposed to like forcing yeah. it um, it's almost like they become attracted by the end result rather than the yeah, process yeah. and you've said that you've said that numerous times before and people will say it again and again you to be good at something you have to really enjoy it and yeah. that that'll show when the day comes because if you don't enjoy it you're not going to be pushing yourself through the really horrible times when you feel like shit everything's against you your relationships are under a strain or you know mm. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna put yourself through that. You're gonna take the easy way out and not do those extra reps, or you know, not get to the gym with enough time to do your session or whatever. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Absolutely. So, I know I'm pretty confident, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty confident your first show was 06. Am I right? Yeah. 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 Perfect. Boom. Got that right. So, when you like how 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 did that come about so how did you find out about the bmbf and how did you plan your approach for for this first competitive outing um i first came into contact with an, uh, a natural bodybuilder competitive natural bodybuilder in norwich i didn't even know existed okay um i'd, I'd previously been reading magazines and stuff and I've been following the BMBF through like the, the Beef magazine or um, on their website at the time. Websites were a bigger thing then. Okay. <laughs> um, was was, like, was, there, was Facebook big or anything like that? No, no, no. I don't. I don't remember it. I didn't. I wasn't on Facebook until about two thousand and seven. So okay, I, I wasn't you know with the times. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I used to follow BMBF and I used to watch the contest results and you'd see the pictures and you'd know who the winners were and you'd follow follow who they were. So sort of two thousand and four onwards i was following that quite closely okay um, and then i met this guy um i went to a gym in norwich um, he was selling bodybuilding clothing in this gym and the guy who owned the gym was um, a natural bodybuilder competed with the amb years ago okay. okay um and his name was steve thompson um and i, I don't, don't think i even really saw him again after that i just saw him and he had these pictures on the wall and um, he said, you should compete. And I thought, what? You're joking. I was like 19 or 20 or something. I was like, no way. And he said, you could do it. You, you know, you, for your age group, you know, you look quite quite good. You could do it. I'm like, no, you're all right. I don't want to stand up there in a pair of pants. What the hell do I want to do that for? <laughs> you know, no way. But um, then the, the the seed of thought was planted. And then over, the, over a period of time, I thought I started to entertain the idea more and more. And then I obviously decided in about 2005, I'm guessing late 2005, I was going to compete the next year. And then when it came to about, I don't know, 16 weeks out, 12 weeks out, whatever it was from that first show, um, I decided that I was going to do it. And I remember in the February of um, 2006, I was training in the gym um, and a guy came in, mm-hmm. baseball, baseball cap on, big arms, I could tell, I just thought, there was a lot of big guys in the gym at the time, you could tell this was quality muscle, this was someone that like obviously took their training pretty seriously, and Norwich is a small place, and I knew most of the people at the time, he, he wasn't from Norwich, I could tell that straight away because I didn't know him, and he kept himself to himself, and um, I see him doing hanging leg raises, and I thought, you know, he's got a really good form, sort of in good coordination, he's obviously been training a long time, and I carried on training, every now and again glancing over at this guy, 
Mm. And then he took his, he was, I think he was doing dumbbells or something, and it, it was a hot day, and he took his baseball cap off, bald, bald head, black guy. And I thought, I, I know that guy. Mm. Where the fuck do I know that guy from? And then it clicked. That's Rob Hope. I've seen him in like magazines. He's like, oh, wow. anyone that knows who Rob, Rob yeah. Hope is know that he's one of, if not the best natural bodybuilder that's ever lived. And that's not biased because mm. he's British. But he just happened to walk into my gym. So I got to know Rob um, over a period of time. Wow. Um, he was he was actually working at Lotus Cars, um, which is not not too far outside of Norwich. So um, doing engineering, funnily enough, which is oh, right. weird because okay, wow. yeah, I, that's what I wanted to do. So, um, but uh, yeah, he he um, eventually he went he moved back to London because his contract had ended. Okay. Um, but I kept in contact with him, and he would give me little bits of advice. Meanwhile, for the first show, um, there was a guy who used to compete in the NABA uh, universe years ago. He won the NABA universe and he was helping me with my diet for this show because I was clueless. So he'd tell me what to do and I'd do it to the letter. Sure. And looking back, you know, heart of gold, um, nicer the guy is, the advice wasn't brilliant. <laughs> so What was um, it like? <laughs> oh, it was like um, 100 grams of boiled chicken each meal. I, I can't remember how many times a day it was, but... It was that, and I remember just at one point there was like four rice cakes. That was it. That was all my carbs all in one day. All your carbs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was no veg. It was just oh. chicken and rice cakes, and that was it. And then uh, at, at the lowest point, I think it was like eight hundred and fifty calories. But what? when you look, wow. yeah, when you when you look at my first show, I wasn't on on that lower calories. It was between that show and the Britain when it was like really, really. Low, but the first the first show I didn't look too bad by today's standards. You would you would think, oh no, he's well smooth sort of thing. But um, I I actually competed in the novices before the juniors because the juniors used to be under twenty one years old, ah, and I, I was I was twenty one, so I was actually too old for the juniors that year. So it, uh, novices it was for me, and uh, I did the central qualifier in St Albans, yeah, and I came second to um, a big black guy called um, Togoliano. Um, big pecs, big arms, big shoulders, um, fairly big legs, but not not that separated. Um, so I came second to him. So I qualified for the Britain, which is not something I contemplated at all. And I was like, oh, you know, you have that big crescendo, and then all of a sudden, oh, I've got to carry on going. <laughs> I hadn't planned this at all. And the guy who was helping me, right, you need to be harder. So we're we're carrying on dieting, and he's just systematically God. reducing my food more and more and more, <laughs> and my body's shutting down more and more and more. Yeah. And I'm training harder and harder and harder, <laughs> absolutely killing myself. And I actually did manage to improve my leg mass slightly. Wow. But um, so to do that on such low food was just shows you how early on in my training career it was. Because to do that, you do need to, you know, really kill yourself. Um, yeah. But I went to the Britain, and needless to say, um, people that I had beaten in the qualifier beat me at the Britain because I was that much softer, despite all my efforts. So, so did um, you did you did you enjoy that process? Like, did you really really like the body? Were you sucked in by that or not? <laughs> nah, nah. <laughs> I, I love I, I love the challenge and I loved you know competing was a buzz and stuff like that. And obviously, I'd done better than I thought I was going to do. Um, I'd got to the Britain and it was all a, a very nice experience meeting everyone. But that that existence was fucking horrible. Mm. There were times like um, I just I just remember thinking I don't, I don't know if I can go on. I honestly don't go on. There was times where I felt like I was going to pass out. Bearing in mind, I was working on building sites and hauling like 
heavy like storage heat of bricks up and down like a five-story building and stuff like that all day it was just ridiculous um amazing how i got through it really but now looking back anything else is just easy so yeah i, I knew like looking back at the end of it and you, i remember looking up at people that were placing you know top three and weight classes and stuff like that and even and winners of classes and i remember shane raymond winning oh no that was 2007 Alan Davies, I think, a Welsh guy, won it in 2006. Okay. Um, I was—I remember sitting with him after the after-show party and speaking to various people and looking up at these people and thinking, I have just killed myself, done everything in my power to be as good as I can possibly be, and I'm still miles away from where I need to be. These guys are either using something and they're in on a se- dirty secret that I don't know about, mm. or they're—they're. They're, they know something that I don't. Now, I, I was still reading loads and reading things from John Hodgson and CMP articles and speaking to top natural bodybuilders. Obviously, I was still in contact with Rob. Were um, there any forums at this time that you were reading? Because I know that forums yeah, used to be quite yeah. big. Yeah, there was the BNBF forum. So there was there was little snippets on there that uh, I was reading as well as like a natural muscle forum and stuff like that. I think it was called the John Harris forum at, at the time. Um, so I was learning more and more about what I should be doing and then it was just a leap of faith basically to try these things because none of it made sense up until that point it was reduce everything you get leaner whereas this was kind of the other way you you you, how can you possibly be leaner when you're eating more that doesn't make logical sense but of course that's not how the body works when you understand how the body works sometimes doing things that aren't the most logical actually end up being the best thing you can do yeah for sure you know, I think that's 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 really cool with the forums and everything because I've I've been told in the past like there's still some gold left in the old forums that you can still access on like things like intense muscle and natural muscle and things like that where people essentially brought things really really down to the basics and and the, some of the threads on there still apply so much value to today's society and unfortunately like there's so much contruding information at the moment that I think when there's not like the, the I think the really cool thing with forums is that when you had a thread going, it would just be a thread that would be started by someone that would have generally either a, a, a question or they were educated enough to start a thread with a solid topic. Whereas now the plat like everyone's got their own voice. And so, because there's so many voices and so many uneducated voices that will agree with the uneducated giant voice, it's like there's a load of stuff that just spreads that in reality is crap, right? To be honest with you, it was a similar sort of thing with forums. Oh, you really? Know. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd still get bad information or you'd get some little, an element of truth in something, but the rest of it might be slightly Gosh, off. So yeah. you sort, in the same way, you sort of have to look for the common denominators and then go, okay, this person's successful, this person's successful, what are they doing that these other people aren't? Yeah. And then after a while, you look at so many successful people and you'll see the common denominator every time. You know, it's always the, the thing that works. And I think I would definitely, well, it's, it's a fact, I would definitely rather be coming through now and educating myself now than I would have done then. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more st- good stuff out there for sure. So, like from your first season to your second season, I'm pretty sure that looking like through your past photos and knowing you as an athlete, I'm pretty sure that you you were then a junior in the next year. Would I be correct with that? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, and because the age bracket had opened up to under 23, 
I was then 22, and that would have been my last opportunity to to compete as a junior. Now, kind of worked well. the jump at the time from being a junior to a, a Mister class was just like phenomenal, and obviously not being confident that you could ever reach that. I thought, well, I'll give this one last go because originally I only wanted to compete once. I wanted to compete, say, right, I'll have that photo and I can say I did that once, you know, and and that was what I did. But then, of course, you get bitten by the bug and it it takes a hold of you. But um, the second year, I thought, well, well, this is my last opportunity uh, opportunity to compete and do well within a class. Sure. And and not just be laughed off stage. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So... uh, that's that's why I did it, and um, with the help of Rob, uh, bearing in mind he took hold of your prep, did he? No, no, not at all. I still did it myself, but um, okay. I'd I'd call him up every Sunday and ask him questions. Through the week, I would just write things down, okay. questions that I had. And Rob's one of these people that he wouldn't. He's not a great teacher in in, in the sense he wouldn't volunteer up information and tell you everything you need to know, but you just need to ask him the right questions, so you can extract it from him but he's not the sort of person to preach and tell you exactly what you've got to do. Sure. So I, I, he saw me at the qualifier in 2007 at the Central. I did it as a junior. Yeah. And um, I remember him saying, I'm, I'm shocked at like, how, how much you've come on. Like, you, you, you're like, doing really well. It was a crazy so that, that, difference. Yeah, that was, that was when he said, um, ring me up. Like, ring, ring me up. Because, you know, it was Rob Hope. I'm not going to just keep ringing him up for no reason. You know what I mean? But when he said... Just ring me up on the weekend or whatever. I'll help. I'll help you. I'll answer your questions. I'll like, yeah, cool. Yeah. So I'd ring him up every Sunday, and um, it stopped whatever he was doing. Bless him. Like, he could be out on his motorbike somewhere, and he'd, <laughs> I just picked, I just pictured him like pulled up on in a layby somewhere, <laughs> just like speaking to this young idiot on the phone about bodybuilding. Amazing. But yeah, but like, they were they were little gems of information, and just gave me the confidence that I needed just to have him confirm some of the things that I was thinking in my own mind and build on my knowledge. Mm. Um, as it transpired, I ended up coming in really, really shredded. I don't yeah, think diced. I've ever—I don't think I've ever seen a, ju- a junior that shredded. No um, way. No, I'd sick. agree. But um, I was also the most stringy man on the planet. I was so stringy; it was unreal. The concept of keeping full was not in my was not in my mind at no, all. But you were so diced, like unreal diced. On I was that pretty, day. pretty lean, yeah, but. Um, the, the quality of the photos that I have aren't that aren't that great, so they, I they, yeah. I, had... I I mean I'll if I if I can potentially put some on the background. If you, if you're watching on YouTube, I might try and put some of the, the the photos that we're talking about in the background of this podcast. But they they look what what tan were you using at that point? Because they, um, they look almost like grainy looking these photos, yeah, but it kind of makes them look kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, that was before like you had like a, a, or before I knew how to anyway to put effects on things. I think what it is, the photos that I've got, I've probably put uploaded onto something and then tried moving them from one thing to another, and then yeah. the quality's been messed up. But um, uh, it was dream time back then. But looked like it was. Yeah, since then, like uh, people have been a bit irresponsible with Dream Town, ruining venues, and yeah, and the venues find the BMBF, and obviously, the more money you get fined, the less money you've got for drug testing and sending people abroad. And why should people miss out on their opportunity to compete abroad just because some people can't keep their hands or their arms off upholstered chairs or whatever? You know, just mindful. You know, a little bit of mindfulness would have gone a long way, but it's it's not that much of a big thing now. Now that we're all used to. Uh, different tans and stuff no and yeah to be fair like on the topic of tans like i find that i've used both i used dream tan with uh when i did the uk dfba show and 
I actually found it like really difficult to use. I just found like, you know, putting on clothes and things like that would like just immediately rub off. I prefer like, I you know, I think the product product that me and you you both use is dark as, and you know that you can you know that you can put a coat on or a couple of coats on the night before a top up in the morning and you're just done and and that's it and you don't really have to worry about it whereas with dream tan it's like it's it's almost so watery you worry about the whole thing just coming yeah. off you um yeah. but yeah so like coming into that that junior year that 2007 year of, of competing like what what massively changed with the diet like did you did you did you have a a knowledge a better knowledge of sort of like coming down with the calories slower did you start at a better starting point because the di- the difference between your your first show and and 2007 was just crazy like ridiculously crazy like so what changed i would say everything everything yeah. was better so you know training knowledge was better more time in the gym obviously to put mm. on more muscle so you're starting with more muscle yeah um, i never ever ever believed in getting fat in the first place i always believed that the leaner you stay the better the prep is going to be, the higher your food is going to be, etc. Um, and anecdotally, for me at least, anyway, the, the, I found that heavier I got, the worse I felt, the less I was recovering, the worse I was sleeping. My cardiovascular wasn't as, uh, system wasn't as good. And obviously, when you look into the, the the hormonal side of it as well, I think probably hormonally my body was a lot happier and healthier when I was Slightly. at what I would call a better body fat percentage. So, yeah. I think nutrient partitioning is a big thing and your insulin sensitivity and stuff like that. Okay. Everything's just impro- improved. And people think, oh, you have to get have to eat big to get big. I'm sorry, but I just don't agree with that. Yeah, yeah. No, but at least at least for me anyway. If, if they do that and they find it works, then brilliant. But for me, I just, no. Nah, it doesn't make sense to me and nor did it work, so. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of people still do uh, really <clears throat> sit in the ballpark of, wanting to push their body weight up super, super high in the pursuit of gaining potentially more strength and thus potentially more muscle mass. But what they don't realize is that when they do push their body weight that high and they do gain that extra pound or two pounds of muscle, in the effort to bring that body weight off, you'll lose that extra one or two pounds of muscle mass that you so forcibly ate food to gain. And... I think potentially what was maybe one of the biggest things that you saw in 2.6 to 2.7 was just uh, obviously you got leaner, which is visible in the photos. You got like disgustingly lean, but you probably held on to a little bit more muscle mass as well in the process. And just because you you maybe gave it, did you give it a little bit more time? Did you diet for longer? Um, Yeah, I gave it more time. But I think the biggest thing was a fuel, having a fuel source there and having, having more, more um, calories overall, you know, the first go around, you can, it was just madness. Like you're always going to get a substandard product at the end of it. And probably, what happened the second year that I competed was probably a truer reflection of what should have happened the first time. Yes. But even even looking back at that prep, you know, I laugh at that now because that was just not still not not at optimal all. at all. My carbs were were low, you know, they weren't like ridiculously low, but in comparison to what they are nowadays and what I believe to be optimal for me, mm. they were very, very low. But my fats were higher and the protein was present and calories were present, you know. 
And that was enough, yeah, for sure. So with, with your training, Mark, over the years, how has your training evolved? And over recent years, have you, as you've become more of an advanced athlete, have you found something that just, would you say, works and is your approach to training and your philosophy, philosophy behind training? Um, so yeah, just talk us, talk us through how, how training has evolved. Um, I don't pretend to know that I know exactly what works best for me, um, to be honest with you. I've tried a lot of different things. I can iron out what definitely doesn't work. Um, I've got an opinion as to what has happened over the years and the way I used to train when I first started wouldn't work for me now, although mm. it worked for me then. Um, you know, I tried more like abbreviated, higher intensity, beyond failure type training, um, slightly higher frequency, um, I think the frequency element I liked um, in terms of results, okay. but um, the high intensity, slightly more abbreviated stuff didn't didn't really, it worked at the time now, but what I found was I'd get to a, a point where it would stall and then I found that I was having to add more and add more and add more. And then in the end, I found that I was training more like a volume trainer than, than an abbreviated program, you know, within each session at least anyway. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's what that's what I've done. I've done some strength training type programs over the years, different like five three ones, five by fives. Um, all of them worked to a certain extent, and I think getting stronger is definitely a big part of how successful you're going to be with your training and how much muscle you're going to put on. But I think I, I treat strength training as like a potentiation phase. You're increasing the potential to work at higher loads with your hypertrophy. Exactly, yeah. So your hypertrophy work is going to be more fruitful than what it would have been if you were five kilos lighter on a particular lift or 10 kilos lighter on a particular lift, yeah. definitely. Yeah, totally uh, agree. Nowadays, um, I like, like, I've been following your training and a few other people's training, like, you know, the, the JP type style, higher frequency, um, periodization, you know, undulating periodization and stuff like that, all those different training uh, routines make a lot of sense to me but unfortunately like with my work I have to work around shifts and there's certain days when I just can't train sure. and sometimes with injuries and stuff like that as well it just doesn't fit the way my life is at the moment if I could train any day I wanted and then go right I'm supposed to be training legs on this day I need to be hitting this number that number the other number but I feel like shit because of x y and z if I could train any, any day I wanted I could just say right forget it for today I'll train tomorrow and then carry on rolling that would be optimal that would be a good thing for me to do but if if that day is the only opportunity I've got to train I'm going to have a shit session and then the next day I can't train because I'm at work so if I don't train I don't train for three days which is not what you want to do if you enjoy training is it so. no. but what I, what I do like doing is um I like similar to Dave K really um I've done high volume bro type splits for a long time sure. uh, you know on, on and off you know over the years but um that's what i enjoy most what i've found i enjoy most and at the end of the day whether i get the best results out of it or not that's what i enjoy doing and, and fundamentally what i do this for is because i enjoy training as soon as the enjoyment of training goes i don't really you know i don't see the point so you know why would i do anything else i just do what i enjoy you know yeah for sure i think 
I think, uh, uh, like, from what I've looked upon in terms of more advanced natural bodybuilders and just bodybuilders in general, or even just trainees in general, is that the, the more you advance, the more you have to look to auto-regulate things. And mm. because not only because you are advancing as an athlete, but you're advancing in terms of what's going on in your life. Like, you know, take, take you back to when you were a junior, you know, yes, you had a job and you had lots of things going on, but to be honest, like you, you probably had slightly less life stresses than you potentially do or have done as you grow older, when you have a mortgage, when you have a relationship, when you have, you know, an extended family and when you have, you know, all these things going on that you have to manage, like that takes away from recovery capabilities and it also takes away from your ability to follow like just the most rigid of training programs. So mm. I think the auto-regulation factor and also the idea that as you do advance, I guess the 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 accrue of niggles and the accrue of, oh, this hurts and this hurts and this kind of hurts and this doesn't hurt kind of thing. Like mm. you have to work around so much more not because you've not because you've necessarily trained recklessly but because that just happens like yeah. you you push the limits and you your body's sometimes not going to like that um like you know i i know for myself like when i've had a really successful training block i actually sit down and i say to myself wow like i've just had 8 weeks of training i haven't got hurt <laughs> that's a win and if i come out of several blocks like that then I just think of my longevity as, as one of my main tools at the moment. Um, Definitely. And would you agree sort of like looking at a younger individual, would you would you look back and say that you should really consider longevity as an athlete? Yeah, definitely. That's one of the things that I do like to stress with people because age has given me hindsight. And looking back, I wish I knew then what I know now in terms of looking looking after your body, doing mobility work, stretching more, things like that. Once once you start to get a problem, it's harder to address than it is to prevent. If you would have prevented it in the first place, that's that's just gold. If you can stay in the gym, that's worth a lot more than pushing One a percentile harder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. And the, uh, me and Dave Kay actually had, um, you know, we share a lot of texts and stuff like that over the years and we laugh at each other because we're always injured and stuff like that and, and we get frustrated and really upset when we're injured or whatever usually dave gets gets upset about being injured um yeah and i said to him this is leading into one of the grand prix we did i said to him that sometimes when you get to our level it's no longer about how hard you can push that's never under question um, and nothing's going to disappear overnight because you get nine reps on something instead of 11 or whatever the case may be but if you miss three sessions on deadlifts because you went for an extra rep, that you know that's that's going to be worse. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and it, staying injury free and training smart is going to be the difference between you winning and losing, not whether or not you train hard enough or put enough effort in. Because everyone's going to be putting the effort in, but it depends on who's going to be able to carry on getting those sessions in, and. The difference between Dave Kay in 2014 and the next time he competed when he made a massive improvement was he, he just wasn't injured as much. And he'll tell you, you know, it was always there. It was just it was it was a percentage of what he could have been because of injuries. And that's just scary when you think about that because he's it, just phenomenal. It, 
it is it is scary because you think you know it's it's frustrating when people are held back by injuries because it's that's not it's not caused by anything ridiculous it's just like it's just an accumulation of training and essentially what you're doing to potentially bring a better package is almost taming your work ethic which mm. is it, it, it's so hard as a bodybuilder you 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 see things like i have to get that extra rep or i have to do this extra set and i've i've struggled i i think i will continue to struggle when i look at my training especially in the way that i look at it with a very much a, a log booking approach you know I, I i do i do sometimes definitely get obsessed and and and, and very intrigued and in depth with the numbers game and I sometimes have to take a seat back and think, you know what, AJ, if you, this deadlift is just really not here today. Like it's like that number is not moving well. And if you take five kilos off the bar and your, um, your lumbar is no longer rounding and you're not in a horrendous position, is that, is, is, is that going to really cost you anything in terms of hypertrophy? Like, no, but it would, would really hurting your low back and ruining next week's squats, deadlifts, and picking dumbbells off the floor for an incline dumbbell press, yes, that, that's going to set you back massively. So um, I think, you know, it's all about thinking long game when you can um, and trying to tame like a, like tame that work ethic as much as you can. So um, moving on with yourself and niggles and injuries, I know that you actually had a season which was particularly fraught with um an injury or at least some injuries and you you sort of stepped on stage i think that time potentially not thoroughly pleased with with the end result um and talk, talk us through that and how you dealt with those injuries and and then obviously how how you then sort of built the mindset to come back and then obviously bring a much more improved package um Every year since 2010, 2010, I had an injury in my forearm. Oh, okay. um, and it used to hurt to do front lat spread and different exercises. Um, it held me back a little bit. And I remember thinking, oh, once I get rid of this injury, I'll be fine. Sure. Um, I'd also tore my hamstring in 2009. Um, and ever since then, I've always had problems with it. Okay. Um, but every single time I've competed has been exactly the same, but worse or you know, in a different way. Yeah, you know, always had injuries. So the hamstring, my back, my hips, my arm, whatever, whatever it's been, it's always been the same. Like um, 2012, I remember feeling like the wheels were falling off coming into um, the Grand Prix. I was deadlifting and I was starting to get pain in my in my back and I was seizing up and I couldn't rotate. Um, and I just thought, well, if I can't dead, I'll, I'll hammer it into the hammer myself into the ground until the show. The show's like four weeks away, or you know, it's imminent anyway. <laughs> sure. Um, did did the shows, and then going forward from that into my off season, there's no way I was deadlifting because it was definitely the risk versus benefit wasn't there. So, right, this is sh- this is a shitty situation that I don't like. But what can I do instead? Right, let's focus on what I can do. So barbell rows, let's get really strong on that. Chins, let's get strong on that. Everything else. Let's just get really, really strong on that. And in a way, it was a blessing in disguise because, and I do think it's about all injuries. They do teach you something and you do come back better. Um, Depending on your level of enlightenment, you're probably a lot more clued up at your age than I was. So you probably wouldn't learn as much from an injury. You'd probably just get pissed off about it because you've already known. But um, 
when you're when you're not disciplined and you just go in hammering away until you get injured and you're not really mindful of it that's what's going to happen you're going to get injured but um 2012 yeah i've got that out of the way into the off season couldn't deadlift got ridiculously strong on on barbell rows um so i made while I wasn't gaining on a deadlift and stuff like that, I was still doing things in that sort of prone position, handling heavy weights. Um, so going into 2014, I definitely put on quite a lot of muscle. Okay. Uh, that prep, um, I had a lot of personal problems in my family. Um, I was worried about, um, I was worried about the welfare of certain people in my family. I wasn't sleeping very well. Mm. Uh, so because you aren't sleeping very well, of course, your body's not burning calories the same. You're not as It's not as conducive to maintaining muscle. Yeah, so yeah. keeping calories up is even more important to try and keep all the, all the muscle you've got. And it wasn't until about probably four or five weeks before the Grand Prix of that year that those issues were getting to a manageable level where I was sleeping a bit better and I managed to pull things back a little bit. Um, so competing in the Grand Prix in that year, which was the year you would have competed probably first seen me. Yeah. Uh, I was softer than I would have wanted to have been, but I was still, you know, I still looked good. I got some good photos out of it. I had a good laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the first time me and Dave K actually competed together on stage. Yeah, I believe you did that one, yeah. Yeah. Um, so while injuries and stuff are rubbish, you know, I still got something out of it. And that's, that's how I managed to improve from one year to the next. And then going into 2016, which was last year. Um, I had injury in my hip. Um, I couldn't squat very well a lot through the off season. I couldn't train legs at all, to be fair, a lot through the off season. And then as it as it came round to the time to start getting ready for shows and stuff, I was like, okay, let's start dieting for a show. And um, as as I started dieting, my hip started getting better. Coincidental, nothing to do with the diet, obviously, but just coincidental, my, my injury started getting better. Um, I still couldn't leg press or anything, but I could I could squat. And um, as I was getting more and more into the prep, I was squatting more and more and more. Um, and I got to a point where I was squatting like 200 for seven, three weeks out from the Grand Prix. And I was absolutely, you know, I was pretty shredded at the time. And I just thought, how is it like, it's just perfect. Like the, the, the everything's aligned. Yeah. Um, just to turn up actually looking decent like I, I could hopefully have some improvements despite all off-season thinking I don't know if we're ever going to compete again um, and that's how, that's how it's always going to be I, I don't know if I'm ever going to compete again because of injuries and you know if, if I'm not if I'm not going to be as good or better than last time what's the point you know I've achieved a lot more than I ever thought I was going to do you know going from just wanting a photo on my wall just to say I did that once you know I never thought I was going to turn pro. Mm-hmm. I remember looking at the pros, thinking, "Fucking hell, let's just start on another level." That's not that's not ever going to be me, but I can really like aspire to that. Like you know, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Staying on that topic, Mark. Like, did you did you before you turned pro at, the, at any point when you were having people look at you and maybe people like Rob Hope, who obviously must have seen you in person a few times and other people at shows like getting feedback and probably getting feedback from like Vicky uh, McCann and, and people like that. It was at any point where you were like, shit, like I can, I've definitely got a shot at this. Or were you always the type of person to be quite held back and not so confident in, well, not so much not confident, but, you didn't maybe have the realization that you had the potential to be pro. 
yeah, I never had the realization that I had the potential to be a pro. Never. Um, I remember going into the 2010 year, which was when I did turn pro. That was after a two-year layoff, and I'll stress that to a lot of your viewers because because you cater to the younger trainer that are just getting into it. Like having time off when you're young is definitely important, I think, yeah. for for putting on muscle. Um, you've got to do that. You can't compete every year and expect to keep coming back better. Um, but yeah, going into 2010, I thought my aim was after being in the juniors was to be in a weight class and hopefully be in the top three at a qualifier. Just you know, there or thereabouts at a qualifier, maybe even get a, a Britain invite or uh, that. Yeah, actually, realistically, that was my goal. I wanted to be top three, sorry, at Britain, not a, sure. not a qualifier. And I thought maybe you know, if I'm lucky, I might win a qualifier. That that'd be cool. But yeah. if not, not too worried. And obviously, I went. I was planning on doing the the St Albans show, which is one most local to me, um, that would have been in late July, I'm guessing. Okay. Um, as I was as I was prepping, I did a warm up show nearer where I live um, in Great Yarmouth. Um, it was a non tested show, competing against guys that had done like the Universe two weeks before. So that was usually a show that they would do just for shits and giggles, I suppose. After that. Okay. Um, I wasn't eligible for any of the classes other than the Open Men, so I thought, well. I'm probably going to come last now, but I'll just compete anyway. Mm-hmm. Who cares? It'll get the it'll get the ring rust off, and um, I can see how I'm looking and use it as a gauge for the rest of my prep for the central show. I did that show. I came second, which was amazing, <laughs> pretty pretty good. Um, I think I was like 11 weeks out from the Britain or something. To obviously, I was going to do my qualifier, but not be 100% for it, knowing that hopefully I'm going to be doing the Britain. So I was 11 weeks out from the Britain, and I turned up, and my strong point was my condition, so I thought, well, that's, that's good. And as my prep carried on, it got nearer the Welsh, and I think it was like the deadline for the entry for the Welsh, and I thought, well, I could actually do an early qualifier in semi-good condition, and if it doesn't go my way and I don't get a qualification, I can just do the central as I planned, and hopefully I'll get a qualification. So I, did, I turned up at the Welsh, last minute, everything. I went there on my own. It's a four-and-a-half-hour drive from where I live, I drove on the was it on the day. No, sorry, it was it was in the evening before. I drove there last minute, booked a hotel, never been there before. Didn't know where the fuck I was going, what I was going to do with food and stuff. <laughs> Who was putting my tan on? I had none of this. I turned up at the show at 11 a.m. Checked in. Luckily, um, I was friendly with Rob Waterhouse um, at the time. Okay, I was, still am. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. He uh, he tanned me up backstage and um he said oh you look really good and that sort of thing i did did the, the heavyweight class after i weighed in i was really really heavy never being one to weigh myself that that much but um i just remember weighing myself going holy shit i'm really heavy i'm gonna be in the heavyweights so i did the heavyweights um i ended up winning my class which was a welcome surprise and then went into the overall and i ended up winning the overall as well amazing so that was a big shock and i went backstage and i wept oh, i really wept wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I just remember um, Flick Williams being backstage and just like crying and I had all these trophies and I couldn't carry them I had, I had best wheels award best wheels, yeah. the heavyweight one and then the overall one and I just couldn't carry them and I had no one there no family no friends other than the friends that I've got through bodybuilding and nothing like that you know I never had friends really come and, come and visit me that much at shows mm-hmm. but um, I remember just being there like I'm just gutted that other people can't see this it was, it was just me yeah. you know and then um, I went out for food afterwards with um, Robert Waterhouse and Darren Loxton, a few others. Awesome. Um, it, was, it was a sweet moment. I hadn't planned on going off my diet at all. I just thought, oh, 
this is an this is an occasion. It's not going to happen ever again. So yeah. I'll go out for a meal on my head. I've got a qualification. I can go out for a meal. I went to TGI Fridays. <laughs> uh, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> but straight back on the diet the, the day after. Um, but even going into the Britain that year, no expectations of it. It's like no way. You know, that's not the sort of thing that will happen to me. Um, obviously, I decided not to do the central because I already had my qualification and doing, doing, doing it again. Then it's not really going to achieve anything else. I'd, I'd got my achievement, so I didn't want to potentially rob someone else of a, of a spot or anything like that. Not for the upheaval of and the expense of competing again when you could just be concentrating on your training, not having anything taking anything away from you. No late nights, just no upset to your routine, just stay on it. And then going into the Britain. It was just a case of you'd seen all the other winners and stuff like that, but still I thought, well, I'm going to look okay going into the, into the heavyweights. And Shane Raymond was competing in the heavyweights. Wow. Obviously, he's just a genetic phenom compared to me. Mm. So there was no expectation there either. And I ended up winning the heavyweight and the overall at the British as well. Wow. So that was another moment that there was tears. It seems mm. like I'm always crying, but I'm not, I'm not <laughs> Not really a crying type usually, but just passionate about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, luckily, my family were there to see that one, which was awesome. pretty good. Yeah, and then uh, after that, it was a IFPA Worlds, the Yorton Cup in Washington, and then we had a little holiday afterwards in New York. And I just remember afterwards, all the shows done, we'd moved on to New York, and we were staying in a, an apartment. And loads of us just piled into this apartment in New York. Mm. And there was a rooftop terrace and we went up on the rooftop and it was nighttime when we got there. And I just remember standing next to Guy, um, Vicky's other half Guy, looking out over it and I just thought, this is no, like, this is incredible. My bodybuilding, my passion, my training, and, you know, there's no way I'd have gone to New York for no reason, you know, not just a holiday, it was too expensive, but for, for it wasn't on my list of things to do. But there I was, stood on a skyscraper looking over New York and the Brooklyn Bridge and stuff. And I just remember thinking, this is the dream. I always wanted to eventually one day be good enough to be taken on a team trip abroad to compete. And there I was, and I'd realized it before I'd even thought it was possible. So that was pretty cool. But I always wanted to aspire to have those stages through being an amateur, you know, fight for the top three in your weight class at the Britain and then fight for winning your weight class at the Britain, you know, stages, you know, little achievements that you get and just see how far you can get. But I superseded all of that all in one go. And I remember feeling the elation, but also feeling slightly robbed at the same time because I wanted to, I wanted to be empty. like that. Yeah, yeah. Like not, not really empty, but oh, that's, that's a shame. I can't do that. I can't carry on doing that. Now I'm on this different stage where I'm going to be like the smallest Small fish. fish and it's going to be like starting completely again. And uh, that was how I felt, but amazing well like what an amazing story i think that's awesome and i think it just shows your passion and shows how important it is to take the time to do these things and and also it it shows that the people out there that that think that bodybuilders are some, some sort of cocky brash um i'm big and muscular kind of guy we're not like mark no. <laughs> mark's cried after his shows because he's so passionate about it and also you said that you you know you never really thought that you could do it like you weren't you didn't have that 
sort of bit of your personality that was cocky enough to think, oh, yeah, I'm just going to be British champ or... And, you know, that's, I think there's some people out there that respond to that really, really well. And they they like to sort of, like, put it out there that they're going to be the champ and that, that they're going to be number one on the day. And, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm personally... In, in, and if you ask people that in my sort of little circle that I send pictures to, I'm, I'm always very, like, very self-analytical of myself and so critical that... I'd, I'd, I don't think I'd ever have the confidence to say that I'm going to do something like I am going to win. Um, obviously, it's always, in personally, in the back of my mind, like I, I go to compete to win, but at the same time, it's like having the confidence to say that you're certainly going to win is, is not something that you can really do in bodybuilding, right? Because you just... Mm. You, you can't like, control. You, you can't control what anyone else does. You're not them. They're not you. You haven't got their genetic attributes yeah. And you've not got their situation, so they could have had a, a, a breeze of a prep and you could have had all sorts of hurdles. And the same the other way around, but I just think with hard work, passion and consistency, if you're passionate about it, you're going to work hard. And if you're consistent about it and smart, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be genetically gifted to go a long way with what you do. Mm-hmm. Eventually, you will get there. Don't get me wrong, if you've got subpar genetics, you're probably not ever going to be realistically you're not going to be a pro in this in this country not very via the bmbf anyway yeah it's, it's very very difficult people with good genetics look at shane raymond he he, he tried for years to get his pro card he, yeah. he got there at, you know he got there in the end um but any hard. anyone anyone can do it pretty much you know if you've got half decent genetics and, and you've got hard hard work ethic and you pay attention to every little small detail you can go a lot further than you think definitely yeah awesome awesome comments there so mark we're we're coming up to sort of the hour mark now i i have some questions that some people have asked us so i will pull them up and we'll roll through them sort of kind of quick fire okay okay. so first things first we're talking about genetics we actually have a question from uh, nathan nate williams (laughs) so we have one from him and also jake actually funnily asked the exact same question so i think they're quite intrigued to this uh to the answer so they both ask uh how do you split up your leg training like what does a typical leg session look like and do you separate your quads and hammies on separate days um i have done i've done like I said before, I've done um, all sorts of different training programs. So I've trained them together. At the moment, I currently train them together. I've done push-pull lower splits. I've done uh, bro splits where I've kept them together. I've done bro splits where I've put them on separate days. Um, my favorite so far um, has to be where I've split them up. Um, for my last prep, I split them up. Um, I paired one workout where I had quads and calves. Um, that enabled me to really knock my pan in on squats and quad emphasis type movements and then when i did my hamstring day i put that at the end of um back which i'd also split into two separate days okay so one one type would be vertical pulling another one would be like horizontal rowing so i'd pair like deadlifts and stuff like that with uh, with the vertical horizontal rowing sorry yeah okay yeah 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 so hamstrings would tie in with that so yeah basically that's that's my favorite um so far i think that's probably the most rewarding for me in terms of lower leg development overall. Um, Push-pull legs is probably, and and higher frequency routines are probably the best in terms of overall gains. 
But as far as the lower body itself, I would say that's probably the best thing for me that I've found so far and certainly what I enjoy the most. Cool. Awesome. Um, Adam Brooks asked about, and we kind of covered this already, um, so we'll actually avoid that first part because we've we've covered that definitely for sure. So second part of his question is, what is your choice of cardio during a contest prep diet? Um, I actually prefer just like steady state walking, walking about. I don't, I've never been one to do massive amounts of cardio. Um, I just think if, if you're training really, really hard and you're doing long sessions and stuff like that, or even your frequency is high, anything that robs your nervous system's recuperative ability between sessions is just going to impact your performance in the gym and therefore the cross-sectional area of your muscles. So mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my take on it. I, I like walking. Um, I'll go for, I won't necessarily power walk and pound pavement really, really hard every single time. I might just go for a leisurely walk. There's a nice lake near where I live. I'll just walk around there at my own pace. But that could take time it at all? Or Not really, no. Um, even, again, with my work and stuff like that, it was a lot of the time to fit cardio in. It was a case of as and when I get the opportunity to do it. Okay. So I could make time and stay up later or get up earlier to do it, but then I'm eating into my sleep and my recuperation. So to me, again, that doesn't make sense. Cool. Awesome. Uh, Alexander Goodrick asks, meal plan or flexible diet? Um, see, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, cool. I, follow, I follow a meal plan. I've always been someone that has followed a meal plan. I'm not one for cheap meals and stuff like that when you're on a prep. If you're... If you're food is at an optimal level your your uh, metabolism etc your leptin levels ghrelin levels your fullness won't be as negatively impacted if you can keep that up you don't need to keep filling up with loads of shit all the time um if you can keep your fullness up you, being flat and stuff is going to be unavoidable but um if, if you can keep as full as possible while you're dieting you're making inroads with your condition you're going to be performing better maintaining more muscle um Flexible diet, and I'm not a fan of the way a lot of flexible dieters just use it as an excuse to see what they can get away with eating. That's not what you should be doing. You should be eating what is going to be optimal for your physicality, so what is going to benefit your body the most. Now, some people will mm-hmm. criticize that with, you know, and, and I also recognize that mentally different people are going to have a different optimal approach. Some people aren't going to be able to sustain the way I eat. Um, they might, you know, the wheels will fall off, they'll go off their diet and they'll binge and all that sort of thing. So maybe flexible dieting, more of a flexible dieting approach for someone like that is going to be more optimal um, in in the end because they're going to be, have more adherence. But if you could uh, remove all the mental element and just look at the physical side of it, what's going to benefit your body nutritionally the most is what you should be doing. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd, I'd heavily argue if you're a pro bodybuilder, you can probably adhere to anything. And you, uh, or, or at least, or at least you can adhere to a lot more than a general population client can adhere to, um, in terms of rigidity of the diet. Maybe, but then some people are more genetically gifted than others. If you're more genetically gifted and you've got the potential to be, or your your potential to be a professional bodybuilder is higher, so you you could get there earlier. So you could get there despite what you're doing, rather than purely likely, because of it. Yeah, likely to be more lax. So you you could you could still be one of the people that falls off your diet and i know pros that, that do do that Interesting. But, wow. and and so they they might benefit more from a fle- more flexible approach you know even though i follow a meal plan i do rotate things in and out 
to cover more variation, not just for my own sanity, but from a nutritional point of view, you know, you get a wider spectrum of micronutrients, etc. cetera. Yes. Um, and you can cover that. So yeah, I think, you know, take things in out. yeah, we discussed it on, on podcasts before with the idea of, I think, you know, the, the, the food focus element of dieting does slightly be, is slightly reduced when you just have quite a, quite a standard structure so you know what you're eating for breakfast, meal one, uh, meal two, meal three, meal four, etc. So instead of coming home and thinking, mm, how much ice cream can I fit into my diet? Or how much this can I fit in? Or should I make this new creation and post it onto Instagram? You're, you're focusing more on being a bodybuilder than being a, a, like a professional Instagram foodie. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, you, 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 I think that's a better approach as a bodybuilder, in my opinion. At least it works better for me. Like we said, I think it comes a lot down to, to individualized preferences and just what you can handle. Um, but I think, again, like success really does speak a lot. And if you look at the... If you look at quite a lot of the top tier athletes, like a lot of them are, are very structured in their eating patterns, right? Yeah, I used to be very militant uh, in my attitude towards it. I was like, okay, flexible, flexible diet, and that's fucking stupid and that. But then when when you watch um, YouTube and different things, and you look at um, coaches who deal with people who have different mindsets and different mental um, wiring, if you like, uh, that enlightens you then that. Oh yeah, I actually see the place for it now, and I and, oh, nice. and you, you get to see the, the spectrum of people. There aren't people that are just trying to fit as much shit into their macros as possible, and then there, you know there aren't the two extremes. There are people in between. So there'll be like people like yourself. You could argue, oh, I don't know. Um, uh, let's say you have like your chocolate on your oats. You could say, yeah. oh, well, you could use that having something else that's more micronutrient dense. For but sure. it might give you a mental it's better for adherence and you know yeah. you might enjoy the process that much more so in the end you'll be a better product of all your hard work sure. whereas if, if you didn't do that you could go off you know you'd be miserable and that could then have a knock-on effect to your physique absolutely and you know i i think it's the you know, it's the things like that 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 really do make a diet it's slightly more enjoyable and and then the process for you as a as an athlete just just more sustainable um and i'm i'm certainly of the type that loves structure and you know like i i've tried to be very flexible in the past like very very flexible and that doesn't work for me i just i just don't like it i like whole foods and i like being satiated so like all of my meals are like very much bro foods and then yeah you're very correct that i do have my dark chocolate and that's like my go-to for the thing that that just makes me feel like I'm having something that's a little bit different that you wouldn't normally see in a bodybuilding diet, and mm. I, I think again, like that's actually brought me a a wider audience because people are intrigued. Like, how is this bodybuilder that's relative is in relatively good condition? How is he still having chocolate on his oats? Like, it's interesting for them because they're usually used to seeing like just the rigidity of. Of, of peanut butter or something like that or you know a fat source that's just like a bodybuilding fat source it's um it's interesting but it's, it's super cool like mark to um hear you say that you've sort of been enlightened a little bit by looking at people online and and coaches and I, i'm sure that you've you've potentially bumped into people like team 3dmj and and you know lane norton and things like that over the past and and sort of it, it's interesting to see that it's nice to see that because 
you know, obviously there's people out there that it works for and, 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 and that's fair enough, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, whatever works for you. Cool. Awesome. Well, we will round things up there, not to keep the listener uh, for too long. I mean, I could have asked you, I think, a million more questions. and Yeah, we, we were actually going to talk about the, the judging aspects and um, some of the things that people perhaps don't think about and stuff like that, but we were. don't want to make it too long. <laughs> we, we, we will certainly come back. I think we should do a round two at some point, Mark, and uh, I'm, I'm sure the listeners will, will love to hear from you again. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll be back in the future and, and uh, we'll potentially go into, and Mark, uh, people who know Mark will know Danny. Uh, we've had chats about potentially getting Mark and Danny on for like a, uh, a joint podcast to discuss how sort of you, you battle the, the idea of, of both competing at the same time and, and all of that. We so can go head to head. Yeah, because... <laughs> um but yeah mark for today it's it's been a pleasure having you on um is there anything you'd like to leave uh, the listeners with but um uh, apart from that make sure that you sort of tell them where to go with regards to following you a little bit more if they want to follow your your journey and anything that you share online um no the final message really would just be to just hammer home the concept of just enjoy things work hard there's no magic secrets or anything just enjoy what you're doing listen to common sense a lot of the time yeah. some speak speak to judges speak to pros speak to people who have done it before um, and listen to what they say don't just disregard it and then carry on thinking what you want to think because it's the easier option accept home truths stuff like that even if you don't want to hear it sometimes is the best thing for you um if I'm not really that active on social media and stuff. Um, I'm sure I'll probably do more in years to come as, as I get more and more comfortable with it. But um, you're welcome to follow me on Facebook, just Mark Claxton, Instagram, Mark Claxton, DFAC Pro. Um, shout out to my sponsors because I can't do anything without them. Mm. I don't really do a lot for them, so I'll use this as an opportunity to say I'm sponsored by Muscleform Performance Nutrition. Awesome. Um, they do brilliant products and all the rest of it, so go check them out. Cool. Amazing. Well, yeah, like like I said at the start of the podcast, it's been an honour to have you on, Mark. Um, I think you're a you're an awesome athlete, and I, I very much look forward to following your your progress moving forward. And whenever you next get back on stage, um, so for the listener, thank you very much for listening to the episode. Make sure to sort of like and and comment with any questions or queries that you do have for for me or Mark in the in the comment section below, and uh, subscribe for future episodes. And we will chat soon. Cheers, Mark. Thanks a lot, AJ. Take care, mate.